0: Hello and welcome to the Field Talk podcast from the Linder Farm Network. I'm your host, Dan Lemke. The demand for biodiesel and renewable diesel is growing thanks in large part to low carbon fuel standards and the drive to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. However, there may be a more compelling reason for increased use of those biofuels. Floyd Vergara is Director of State Government Affairs for Clean Fuels Alliance America. He joins us on this episode to detail results of human health studies that are
1: truly eye-opening. I've been with Clean Fuels Alliance America for the um, past three and a half years now. I serve as the Director of State Governmental Affairs. So I oversee um, the state government affairs program uh, uh, in all 50 states, and I oversee two Um, directors of regulatory affairs, uh, one of which is focused on the Midwest, the other one focused on the Northeast um, region. I'm located in Sacramento, California, so I'm focused on the West Coast, which is, um, uh, as some folks uh, might know, is ground zero for uh, climate change programs uh, in the U.S., so it's very important for clean fuels to have a strong presence here on the West Coast.
0: And now, obviously, you two have a background kind of on uh, the regulatory side, so you definitely know of what you speak when uh, it comes to addressing uh, climate and fuel-related issues.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, Prior to joining uh, Clean Fuels, I served uh, 32 years with the uh, California Air Resources Board, where uh, I led a number of programs, uh, one of which is the Low Carbon Fuel Standard, um, which has uh, really sent strong market signals to drive. Um, biodiesel and renewable diesel volumes up in that state, uh, as well as um, in Oregon, which has a very similar program, and then Washington State recently adopted theirs. That went into effect uh, this January, and we're expecting uh, great results from that as well.
0: No, obviously, we're hearing a lot about the, the carbon and the climate-related type of activity. Is that driving a lot of activity in other states, uh, hence the reason that you have folks uh, in, in the organization that are focused on some of those state initiatives?
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I don't want your readers to think that um, we're only focused on carbon programs, um, especially in the Midwest. Uh, uh, there are a number of biodiesel and renewable diesel related uh, programs that are geared uh, more towards economic development, uh, jobs, um, you know, economic activities and things like that. And those are very beneficial for the biodiesel and renewable diesel industry as well. Um, So we're focused on that. And in the Northeast, um, they're also looking at carbon programs, but they are very focused as well on um, uh, improving the Uh, carbon and air quality performance of the petroleum heating oil that's used to heat um, over 1 million uh, homes in the region. Uh, And so uh, our fuels, uh, especially biodiesel, is playing a very prominent role in those discussions uh, in terms of reducing the carbon emissions as well as improving air quality in that region. Certainly,
0: folks here in Minnesota, well acquainted with the biodiesel and uh, having been, uh, you know, part of the leading edge, I guess, uh, getting some of those biodiesel standards and utilization uh, um, through state government and that sort of thing. But we're talking a lot today. Or what I'd like to talk about, Floyd, is uh, you have a study looking at uh, something totally. Um, outside, I guess, of uh, the economics type of things and more looking at the human impacts. So you have a a Trinity study that uh, was undertaken that uh, I'd like to have you tell us a little more about that. First of all, kind of what's the the overview of what that
1: uh, study was looking at? Yeah, thanks for asking. So the Trinity study, and we call it the Trinity study because we commissioned Trinity Consultants, um, which is a um, world-renowned a consulting firm, uh, multinational offices all over the globe uh, with expertise, uh, four, four decades worth of expertise in um, complex air dispersion modeling and health risk assessments using the same tools that US EPA and other regulatory agencies use. Um, so what we did was, you know, the the science literature, scientific literature, Uh, It has ample evidence of the ability of biodiesel and renewable diesel to uh, reduce not only greenhouse gas emissions, uh, on average 74%, um, and can be even greater than that, but also have associated with that significant reductions in those air pollutants that adversely affect um, the public's health, and specifically particulate matter emissions, uh, which biodiesel has the ability to reduce. Um, Fifty to eighty percent um, depending on the, you know the the engine it's used and th- things like that, so we knew the science um, was uh, su- you know supported a you know um, the, the science showed that these uh, fuels reduce emissions by a lot, but we wanted to take that um, to the next level, which is really taking those emission reductions and quantifying them into. Um, health outcomes that are relatable to the average uh, ordinary citizen. and what I mean by health outcomes are things like um, you know cancer burden reduced, um, premature deaths reduced from exposure to, to diesel particulate matter, um, asthma cases reduced or avoided, work loss days reduced, things like that. And then quantifying all of those outcomes, improved outcomes, uh, using EPA's uh, standard valuation protocol to convert those into dollar uh, dollar values so that we can take to the discussions with the states um, much more information in terms of what do these programs that um, drive, you know, that hopefully drive uh, volumes of biodiesel and renewable diesel, what do they actually accomplish on the ground? So we commissioned Trinity Consultants to um, take a look at high diesel use sites across the country, and uh, those are sites like ports, rail yards, logistics and distribution facilities, freight corridors, uh, agricultural operations, and then in the Northeast, high density housing that uses a lot of residential uh, heating oil. Um, And we, we commissioned Trinity to take a look at really just a simple question, if you took the um, petroleum dis- diesel or distillate in that high diesel use site and switch that over to a hundred percent biodiesel what would that look like on the ground what would the result be and how would that impact the um, the folks living uh, near these these communities that are being exposed to the particulate matter emissions and and other compounds um, and so we uh, worked with Trinity consultants um, selected 28 um, different sites across the country, both coasts as well as uh, the Midwest, Washington, D.C., and the Southwest, uh, Mid-Atlantic as well. And uh, we wanted to take a look at the the states that are aggressively pursuing um, carbon reductions, but also those cities and areas that the American Lung Association has identified as some of the worst um, places to live in, uh, you know, uh, as far as exposure to a variety of different pollutants, in this case um, particulate matter uh, of the the very smallest uh, sizes, the PM 2.5. And so we wanted to capture, uh, you know, 28 different sites. We started, uh, and those sites being uh, among the sort of uh, sites that I mentioned earlier, ports, uh, rail yards, and so forth. Uh, And, again, we wanted to focus on transportation sources, which um, tend to be the largest sources for most jurisdictions of um, uh, greenhouse gases as well as air pollutants and also residential uh, heating oil uh, uses. And um, so we commissioned Trinity Consultants. They use the U.S. EPA standard protocols for um, calculating, you know, uh, modeling through computer models how the uh, air pollutants are dispersed, uh, at the ground level and 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 this is one of the things that really distinguishes this study from previous studies is we wanted to do like a ground up analysis in, uh, meaning rather than looking at the broad region and trying to figure out what the um, average person is being exposed to, we started from the ground uh looking at what are the um, what is the data that ePA and other jurisdictions have. From these sources at the ground level, and then using the computer, uh, the, the computerized uh, air dispersion modeling, seeing how those pollutants are distributed to the nearby uh, neighborhoods, and then coupling that with uh, health risk assessments, what do those pollutants do to the person? And then how would that pollu- how would that situation change if you then switched over to B100? Uh, and so the results were, uh, to say the least, very eye-opening. Um, you know, we knew that these uh, fuels, these petroleum diesel replacements, uh, achieved significant reductions in diesel PM, particulate matter, but we didn't, we never had a the tools, the right tools, to be able to quantify that into metrics that are, you know, an average person can actually relate to.
0: So what are some of the key outcomes, I guess, Floyd, that
1: would have impact on people to make them sit up and take notice? From a national standpoint, um, for just the 28 sites that we studied, and again, this is just the tip of the iceberg since there are literally dozens of similar sites uh, uh, across the country. So for just those 28 sites, um, the uh, the cancer cases over a 70-year time frame uh, would be reduced if you know, uh, if you switched over to B100, would be reduced by nearly uh, Mm 9,500 cancer cases. Um, Premature deaths would be reduced by nearly 930 premature deaths per year. Uh, Over 456,000 asthma cases per year would be reduced. Um, Nearly uh, uh, over 142,000 six days per year would be reduced uh, and nearly... um, Eight hundred and twenty nine thousand what's called minor restricted activity days per year, so these would be the days when you had planned to do some gardening or take a walk around the block, but because the air pollution is so bad uh, it's actually changed your behavior so that you're no longer planning to do that, and all of those plus other sort of health outcomes that the modeling um, was you know had had put out, all of those all together would Um, total over $7.5 billion per year in avoided health costs. And so it's a staggering uh, and, like I said, eye-opening result. These results are informative of what's happening on the ground at the neighborhood level, again, differentiating from previous studies. And uh, uh, these are things that you could do today, you know, because biodiesel and renewable diesel are drop-in fuels, As you know, as your as your listeners know, um, a lot of different states are talking about electrification, which we believe is an important part of you know any sort of um, solid uh, decarbonization strategies. But all of the literature shows that uh, deep penetration of electric electrification technologies, especially in the hard to electrify sectors like heavy duty on and off road, marine, rail, aviation. And heating uh, residential heating, um, those are going to take many years if not decades and so it's important for um, your listeners and for us when we have conversations with folks and stakeholders that they understand what can be accomplished with simple drop-in fuels and strategies using those fuels like biodiesel renewable diesel, what they can accomplish in the many years it'll take while they are while these uh, jurisdictions are pursuing electrification.
0: So how was this information being utilized and and what kind of response are you getting from folks when you kind of lay this out in front of them? And and as you said, the outcomes are pretty staggering and and certainly make folks sit up and take notice.
1: I've been uh, working in the regulatory field for three decades. I can tell you that it has had a very big impact in terms of the discussions and the information sharing. Um, with, um, you know, stakeholders, Um, most of them, uh, if not all of them, have really had no idea the sort of impacts to actual relatable uh, public health outcomes uh, that we're talking about that the study shows, Um, you know, and and that's the problem with, you know, talking about uh, the benefits in terms of percent reduction of PM or other sort of pollutants. That's really sort of an abstract, difficult to wrap your head around. I mean, yeah, 50% sounds like a lot, but what does it mean to you and I or, um, you know, a, a mother with some children who are suffering from asthma? It doesn't really help her in her day-to-day um, decision-making. But this sort of information has really kept, um, you know, uh, fuels drop-in, uh, fuels like biodiesel, renewable diesel, at the forefront of conversations as states are looking at how do they reduce their their carbon emissions and address climate change while still getting you know, as much benefit from cleaning up the air as possible. Um, so yeah, this has been a very important part of the conversation uh, in Washington State, in New York, uh, as they're going through their uh, climate strategy developments, in other states, and even in those states where um, you know, carbon reduction is not necessarily at the forefront. If you're talking about uh, uh, states that are looking to develop uh, their economy and they want to bring in uh, biodiesel incentives and things like that, it really helps them to understand the other sort of benefits uh, besides economic um, benefits that you know are, these fuels uh, provide. And they can provide them since they're drop-in; they can provide them immediately.
0: Now, will this also be something that you're doing, you know, additional work on, uh, maybe looking at some other sites or, or how is that, uh, How what is the status there? Yeah, great
1: question. So um, to date, we started this study in 2020, um, undertook a second phase uh, in 2021, completed that last year. And so, um, you know, that covers the 28 different sites that I talked about uh, before. We are, looking, we are currently expanding the study to what we call Trinity 3.0, the third generation of Trinity. And in this case, we are looking specifically at ports, rail yards, and airports to quantify the benefits of not just biodiesel and renewable diesel for marine and rail applications, but at the airports, we're trying to quantify, do the same sort of quantification. Um, for uh, the substitution of sustainable aviation fuel, which is another fuel that our industry represents, uh, in place of conventional jet fuel uh, made from uh, fossil uh, feedstocks. So that's, um, that's coming up. Uh, we hope to complete that um, this year, early this year. And um, we have added additional sites to um, the second generation. We've, we've added Lincoln and Omaha, Nebraska, as well as Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico. So um, very similar results to what I just talked about, um, but really excited about the ports and uh, airports um, in the Trinity 3.0 study. Um, you know, we're, we're really looking forward to what that, that study says. And, you know, of course, we, we are hoping it says the same thing, but of course we'll see what the science says.
0: Is there a place, and then if folks want to learn a little bit more about this, obviously in any podcast, we can only touch on it in, in such detail, but is there a place folks can go to learn more about some of these results?
1: Yeah, on our homepage, uh, uh, cleanfuels.org, um, you will see a, uh, a, a link to resources. Uh, and in that, the first, um, you know, bullet or link under that tab of resources is the health benefit study and that's a complete compilation of both the Trinity 1.0 and the Trinity 2.0 uh, studies. Um, so your, re- your listeners are, and your audience is uh, more than welcome to go visit cleanfuels.org and uh, uh, click on the resources tab and look up the health benefit study. Uh, I think they'll find it uh, very informative. There are a number of one-page infographics as well included in that uh, page uh, that I would encourage your um, audience to take a look at. They really summarize and encapsulate all of the important um, findings from, from this study. And then of course, uh, once uh, the third um, phase of the study is completed, we will post those uh, those results on our website, on the same website. So I, I want to point out, this is uh, my gift to you. Uh, we You know, as one of the 28 sites, uh, we actually did an analysis of Minneapolis-St. Paul as one uh, 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 one, um, region, uh, one location. And uh, just to give your uh, audience a a flavor for what those results were, um, we are modeling uh, estimated uh, 19 uh, premature deaths could be avoided or reduced. By uh, that switch to B100, and that would total uh, in terms of value uh, about $149 million per year. So this is 19 avoided premature deaths per year, um, 7,900 fewer asthma attacks per year, um, uh, six, $614,000 uh, per year in avoided. Um, uh, lost work days. So that, that would be a little bit over 3,000 fewer work days per year uh, that would be saved uh, from the switch. Altogether, uh, for Minneapolis and St. Paul, all of those benefits would total about $156 million per year. And so uh, the the point here is, um, there really is no region or city that is exempt from the the sort of impacts when whenever you have a site that uses uh, a high amount, a high volume of petroleum diesel, um, you're going to get these sort of impacts. And so um, even Minneapolis, uh, you know, could benefit from this. Uh, St. Louis in Missouri has a very similar, uh, if you know, a a little bit higher, $212 million uh, per year uh, in terms of avoided health costs. Uh, from similar sort of results uh, and even in our you know our nation's capital and in um, US EPA administrators uh, home state of um, um, you know uh, uh, Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, uh, we found very similar results. Um, so I would invite you and in your audience to uh, take a look at our website, uh, see what the, those say about um, uh, uh, if you live in any of these uh, cities, uh, take a look at what that says. The, the other important thing about this study is that it provides a framework for doing similar sort of analysis uh, for other cities and other um, sites that are not, you know, part are not one of the 28. So if if there's a port or there's a, a freight distribution or a high traffic uh, freight corridor that's not one of our sites. You can certainly use this sort of framework to take a look at that, see if that qualifies for a deeper dive, and then use the actual modeling protocol to do that deeper dive and quantify the the benefits. Thanks for joining
0: us for this Field Talk podcast. Find other podcasts at linderfarmnetwork.com and get updated market information, analysis, and farm news on your local LFN
1: affiliate.